and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rivki. And you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. All right, Uri, what's the best piece of feedback you think we got from last week's episode? Well, um, we got a bunch. We got an important piece of feedback from friend of the show, Adi, who, while she didn't really disagree with what we or I said, she pointed out that there really was a deluge of anti-Semitic um, comments on Seth Rogen's Twitter post and on the YouTube trailer for the show until the comments were disabled, which is when I, when I saw there were no comments anymore. Um, but she thought we may have minimized that a little bit, which um, I definitely didn't mean to do because, and we'll include a couple of links that have some of these comments. Like a lot of them were really horrible. I mean, the most extreme anti-Semitism, Holocaust denial, simultaneous Holocaust celebration uh, kind of stuff uh, that was there. Um, so I think that was important and, and important for us to uh, put that out there and make it clear. I was also just saying, like, I think there were also people who just didn't like the show and or were offended by the show in non-anti-Semitic ways. And it just struck me as a little bit funny that Seth Rogen was blaming the bad reviews solely on the white supremacists, as opposed to the reality, which might be that it was partially white supremacists trolling him and partially people who just didn't think the show was that great. But what about you, Rifki? Did you get any? What do you think about that or other feedback? Yeah, I thought it was pretty crazy because I definitely didn't know about a lot of this stuff. Um, I read one of the articles that Adi, this astute listener, sent us was um, included a lot of screenshots from the original YouTube comments before YouTube took down the mm-hmm. comment section, which is never a good sign. Um, but basically, the commenters started using uh, code almost right, to right. Uh, like evade detection from the censors or from YouTube, but they used language like the word elves, which represented Jews or Jewish people, and represented the and used the word toys to represent pe- the people. So it said six million toys or six million presents, talking about the number of Jews that was killed in the Holocaust. This guy, uh, and I'll let me do, do one example, and there's a screenshot of this. Did you know elves have been knocked off of at least 109 shelves, which is, according to the ADL, uh, the number 109 is a white supremacist shorthand for the claim that Jews have been expelled from 109 countries. So elves have been knocked off of 109 shelves is code for Jews have been kicked out of 109 countries. Somehow they always end up climbing back on and making rules about knocking them off. And they always display the same voracious elfnocentrism that got them knocked off the shelf in the first place. This comment has more, before it was before the whole thing was deleted, had more than 10,000 likes. Wow. And more than 100 comments on that, including things like total elf extermination is the only option, which is really crazy. So, yeah, could it be true that people also didn't like the show? Sure, of course. A lot of people don't like shows. Like, that's fine. But this stuff is nuts. Like, this stuff is crazy. I really have not read things like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm same. I, it's not something that I see every day, although I understand that it's very prevalent on the Internet and all sorts of... Uh, I don't know, probably just, I would say losers who have no lives, who find, you know, this is how they entertain themselves by saying horrible things on the internet. Um, Meaning you think they're trolls more so than they're actual, like, white supremacists? What do you mean, like, losers who have no lives? I, I don't know. I, I'm not minimizing it or downplaying it at all. I'm just I'm just picturing some guy in his parents' basement, you know, um, on his computer all day spewing hate. That doesn't make it yeah. okay, but that's just what I picture. Yeah. 
yeah, it's really sad, whatever it is, and um, scary, because it's not something that I really, it's not a world I really know about, and I'd like to keep it that way, unfortunately. Well, shifting, another thing. I my head in the sand. Yeah. Well, another thing that came up last week that I looked into a little bit more was the Palestinian comedian, law professor, activist that we quoted as saying that Christmas is a Palestinian holiday celebrating a Palestinian who is fighting against occupation in Palestine. Mm -hmm. To be honest, like, it's not a competition. Both both types of anti-Semitism scare me. But when it's something something more prominent, or somebody that has a has a large following, somebody who was on this guy that this that we're mentioning, um, he was on Bill Maher a number of years ago, um, representing P- Palestinians, and he's been on it's other so, shows. And I stuff. just want to say that it's so funny how quickly you go from this tweet to you know two types of anti-Semitism. When like I see nothing about anti-Semitism in what he said. Okay, but, well, okay, I do. sorry, continue. Well, I do, and and or if it's Linda Sarsour or if it's Ilan Omar, I just think these are people that have a lot more um, power and reach than these people in their basements and they're, you know, writing this, uh, co- these comments on the YouTube videos. But anyway, so what does he mean that Jesus was a Palestinian and why do I think that's anti-Semitic? Um, he, it's basically semantics. If the place that we call Israel and he calls Palestine has been called Palestine, let's say, since the Romans. And he actually calls that like an anti, uh, he calls that a Zionist lie that the name Palestine originated from the Romans because he quotes like this Greek historian who mentions the land of Palestine a couple hundred years before the common era. It wasn't officially called Syria, Palestina until like the Romans, like in like the year 100 something of the common era. Anyway, so if that place is called Palestine and Jesus was a person who was born in that place, therefore Jesus was a Palestinian. So yeah, by that definition, he's not wrong, I guess, in a technical sense. But taking a step back, why is he saying that? And what is he trying to, what's the point he's trying to make? The obvious point to me is that he's trying to say the Palestinians have been here forever and the Jews have not. I definitely think that the Jewish connection to the land is important, but I can understand why someone wouldn't believe so. And I can understand why Zionism could be incredibly problematic and difficult for people. And that I don't think that means that they're, they have to be anti-Semitic as well. I, I just, yeah, to me that, that doesn't, the, the we're getting from X to Y doesn't seem so clear to me. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, not to say that it doesn't seem so clear to me. It doesn't seem like the obvious only understanding to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe we can delve more into that on a future episode. We actually reached out to Amer Zar, the guy who, who posted those videos and those tweets. And as of yet, we haven't heard back from him. But Amer, if you're listening, we would really love to have you on the show. And we promise to have a civil and respectful conversation. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over And a new one just begun And so So this week we want to speak about the separation of church and state in America and how that interacts and sometimes might conflict with Americans' First Amendment rights of religious freedom. When can government fund religious institutions? When must the government fund religious institutions? The most recent Supreme Court case dealing with these issues was a case from Maine. Because the population density in Maine is so low, there are many school districts in the state that don't have a public high school. So the state has a program where they will pay either for the students to commute to the nearest public high school, or the state will pay for tuition assistance to private school for those students. And each family gets to make its own choice of which of those options it wants to take. 
However, private schools labeled as sectarian or religious by the state were not approved for, for this funding. In 2018, three sets of parents filed a complaint in U.S. District Court against the state, alleging that the program requirement infringed on their First Amendment rights, including the free exercise of religion. The district court ruled in favor of the state against the parents. On appeal, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit affirmed the district court's ruling, and now it's being argued in front of the Supreme Court. There was a time when, for the most part, government was not allowed to fund any religious institutions in America. There was a very important shift in 2002 when the Supreme Court ruled that it was constitutional for Ohio to provide school vouchers that could be used to fund a child's private school education, even if that private school was religious. This meant that states were now allowed to fund religious institutions if they so chose. However, there have been other cases asking the opposite question. If a state has a program in place that provides vouchers or scholarships for private institutions, can the state mandate that those funds not be used at religious schools? To make this more concrete, it would be like if New York were giving families vouchers for private schools. Would the state be allowed to say, we'll give you money for Horace Mann, which is a fancy prep school in Riverdale, but not for SAR, which is a fancy religious school in Riverdale? In 2004, the Supreme Court dealt with a case in Washington state where they ruled that Washington state could in fact restrict the use of state scholarships such that the state was allowed to say that the funds may only be used at non-religious institutions. That case dealt with schools that trained ministers. However, in 2017, the Supreme Court heard a case from Missouri where the state had tried to deny a grant program to be used to fund a playground owned by a church. The court ruled that the funds could not be denied to the church playground. So all these cases and the back and forth and the details of each one are, are pretty confusing, and we'll get into some of that. But in terms of this Supreme Court case, it will likely be a number of months before the court comes to a decision in Carson versus Macon, which is the case in Maine. But in the meantime, there's a lot to think about here. This decision could have a huge impact all over the country. One example is that in President Biden's Build Back Better program, there is funding for universal pre-K. So would this funding be allowed to go to religious pre-Ks or just secular pre-Ks? So Rifki, what do you think? Do you have an opinion in the main case? More broadly, as a religious Jew, what are your thoughts on the separation of church and state? Separately, as someone who attended Jewish private schools, what do you think about school vouchers in general? So Uri, this, first of all, great synopsis. Thank you. Excellent. So we actually had a similar, not exactly the same, but we had a similar-ish conversation a few years back. I'm sure listeners, you know, it's rolling over their heads Mm -hmm. as we speak. Uh, But we had this conversation about a different case, which was Espinoza versus something. That's not actually coming back to me. It was in Montana, I think, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people are referencing that one in, in this case also. Yeah. Oh, they probably also listened to the show. Right, probably. It was a similar kind of thing, yeah, where there were these um, funds given to parents to use at private schools, and the state wanted to say, you can't use it at religious private schools. And the parents were suing the state. Right. So as we spoke about at the time, you know, there are a couple of different issues here. So there's the legal issue. And, you know, of course, we love to kind of always make this clear. We are not legal scholars. (laughs) By the way, shout out, though, because um, a couple of... Jewish institutions, including uh, especially the OU, have a lot of resources that really try to make this clear to people who really don't necessarily understand the, the legal mm-hmm. complicated issues here. The OU Advocacy Center and the Teach Coalition, which is uh, their, at their arm that relates to uh, religious schools, they did a really interesting Zoom 
insider briefing, I'm not exactly sure what it's called, where some legal experts, including Nathan Diamond, who's the executive director of the OU Advocacy Center, and Avi Helfand, who's, I think, a professor at Pepperdine Law School. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they kind of talked about the the cases and the implications, and it was really, really interesting. And of course, we'll include a link to that video. And they also published an analysis in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, but I think that those things definitely made it a little bit more clear to me, but I definitely still think it's not. I'm not fully there. I'm not fully there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just think it's interesting that in t- there are Jewish and non-Jewish, but there are Jewish um, institutions and advocacy groups on both sides of this yes. issue. The OU yes. is is pretty strongly in favor of the um, religious schools being funded. Right. And for example, the ADL is against it. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's a really good point. The ADL, basically, uh, they're arguing that the precedent of the court, which again, we're not legal scholars, but the precedent of the court allows public money to be spent on religious schools only when they don't involve religious instruction, right? So the playground that we we talked about. Um, But that indoctrination, quote unquote, to actual religious instruction is problematic and and should not be allowed legally in Maine. Um, The bottom line that that I said in the last conversation, which I still kind of think is true, um, and I kind of want to hear what what you think about this and if your thinking has has changed at all about this, um, is that I... I'm very sympathetic to the idea of school vouchers because I see how daunting tuition is. It is the the number one biggest line item in our community. Uh, And it's a conversation constantly you hear at Shabbat tables. It's a conversation you constantly hear in um, synagogues. And it's it's a constant thing that we're trying to understand. How do we make religious education work? It is so expensive. It is so, so, so difficult. And I'm very sympathetic because I'm sympathetic also to myself because I know it's something (laughs) that presumably I'm going to have to worry about fairly Mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really hard. But at the same time, while that's true, it is also the responsibility of the people who care about religious education, who value religious education, to figure out how to pay for it. It is not the state's responsibility. And not only is it not the state's responsibility, I don't think it should be the state's responsibility. I think the state is supposed to pay for the things that it values. So what does that mean? That means transportation, that means education in general, that means defense, right? Obviously, all the things that you think about in the line items of the the general government budget, state and federal, but religious education is not something that the state owes me and even should owe me, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think, so I, I don't really think that this is something that I should, that I should as a person be using my resources to have the state do. And the second thing that I think is really critical here, and this is something that, I, that we also touched about in the last conversation, and I, and I do think this is a kind of a side point, but I think it's a really critical one, is that I think it's a chil Hashem. I think this makes religious people look bad, right? When what we're trying to do is say to the state, hey, you should give me money so that I can go to my yeshiva. You should give me money. I don't think that people who are not religious look at that and say, wow, God's people, that's incredible, right? When we, if we were to take those vouchers and then turn around and give it to poor people, right? Or if we would say, actually, we want to, we want to, Go to the state. You can't. You can't just allocate that money differently. But let's say you know the state. Let's say I would spend my time going to the state and pushing. We want more money to go to soup kitchens. We want more money to go to um, tutoring for underprivileged students. I think that would make religious people look amazing because I think that that is a godly thing. But for me to go to the state and say, "Hey, I want you to pay for my Talmud education. I want you to pay for my whatever, whatever, whatever," like that. Just that's not that. If I were not a religious person, I would look at that and say, 
ugh, this is not, yeah. I just don't think it's, it's not a good look. Okay. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts here? Right. Okay. So you just said a lot. Um, I don't yep. think I don't think the Chil Hashem or desecration of God's name is is a fair um, thing to throw into this because it, first of all it doesn't have to be one or the other it's not like we're telling the government hey give us money for our schools and forget about the poor people they don't need food anyway like it's not- it's a zero sum game it's. Money is finite. There's, okay, and and I mean, there's and I think there's plenty of money to go around. I don't think that's the issue. Also, a hundred percent. And do you see religious people going to the Supreme Court because, the, like, I'm saying, like, the religious people are making an why argument is this right the now, thing that they're and fighting this is for above all else. Okay, that that's a that's an interesting point. But the other thing is that like the the, the voucher thing, and I think that's part of to, to combine the two things that you said and to respond to them both at once. Part mm-hmm. of what makes this all so complicated is there are really multiple issues at once. And when you're when a person is responding, even when the Supreme Court justices are responding to this case, they're combining different things together that aren't necessarily supposed to be combined. So, like, you're arguing against vouchers, vouchers like, let's say, in Ohio, that I think it's something like seven thousand dollars per kid um, voucher if you want to send to private school. That is not just for religious schools. That's for any private school. And there are plenty of arguments to be made that have nothing to do with religion, which was, I want my kid to get the best possible education. And this particular private school is much better than the local public school. I want to send to the private school. And the argument in the broader picture is that is a good thing for everybody because it causes competition and it forces the public school to compete with the private school and therefore get better. There's obviously a counter argument to that, but that would be the argument that has nothing to do with religion. And so I don't think it's fair to say that like, you know, people are going to dislike Jews because they want funding for their um, schools. Wait, I never, but that's not the argument I made. That That's a straw man. I'm not arguing okay, so that people are going to dislike religious be Jews of, because this is what a lot of Jews are focusing all their efforts on. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak to that because I, I, I think there are religious people who are pushing for other things also. But yes, this is definitely a big issue. And uh, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I wouldn't put it in those in those terms. Um, but the, the, well, look, let yeah. me let me actually ask you. And I'm, I'm not trying to cut you off because I want to hear all the uh, things you have mm-hmm. to say. I, I'm trying to understand this particular. Do you think how, how do you think this makes religious people look? I just don't see it right? that way. Take I, yourself I, out of it. You're not a religious person at all. I th- you're totally okay. a random I, I, person and you're reading about I this. I think the counter argument is perfectly valid. I wouldn't call it anti-Semitic at all. If somebody says <laughs> if somebody says that the US government or state governments should only be funding public education and public schools and no private schools at all. I would that's fine. I mean that's a I don't agree with that, but that's a perfectly valid um, viewpoint and I totally understand it. The the issue is once they're saying we're going to fund private right. schools in one form or another, I think it's religious, I personally think it's religious discrimination to say that can only go to non-religious um, schools. It happens to also just be that something like two-thirds of the private schools in America are religiously affiliated. So the the whole private school institution or concept in America is largely a religious thing. Just So to say you can go to a, relig- a private school at, only if it's not religious actually eliminates m- most private schools in the country. That's a side point. But Are you worried that these kids aren't going to have a school to go to? No, no. I'm just saying that when you're talking about private schools, very. The, why does somebody send to private school in the first place? The, the majority of people do that because it's a religious, for, largely for or partially at least for religious reasons. It might also just be a better school. But yeah, are, how is this going to make Jews look? 
I don't know. I don't think we have to make all of our decisions on the important issues in our lives based on what our anti-Semite's going to say. Like, if it's something that's important Whoa, to I'm us. I'm not talking about, well, I'm not saying how our anti-Semite's okay, going to think or, about or Jews. How I'm people... saying how are neutral people, right? Like, how are neutral people going to look upon what it means to be a religious person? That's okay. all I'm saying. If, that's if the they see I'm Jews asking. in a negative light because of that, then that's their problem. That's not my problem. That's not how Chil Hashem works, though. Chil Hashem is well, our problem. I, yeah, but, I mean, I, I, and okay. I agree with you that it shouldn't be the entirety. I, I hear but your you point. You don't think You're, it's an element? I hear your point. Um, okay, but yes, continue. I know you, you had a lot more. I'm sorry. I no, it's okay. Off. It's okay. I hear your point. And if this was the only thing we were fighting for, and we were not, we're not fighting for any other groups and any other causes uh, in terms of human rights and, and needs and stuff, then yes, I hear your point. It's a valid point. Um, I wanted to also just take a step back and like talk about the concept or the the legal the legal concept of the separation of church and state in america and what does that mean what is the spirit of that law i think the original intent of that concept was to separate from like the way it is in england with the church of england i mean they still don't have separation of church and state in england and religious schools are funded by the government but like back in the day when the church of england was affiliated and intertwined with the government it's very easy to see why that would be very problematic and maybe even dangerous for Jews or for other sects of Christianity or other religions, etc. So in America, if if the issue is like, let's say in a public school where like a, a kid is going to school and that's where they're going, they don't really have a choice of where to go. That's the local public school. And now there's the teacher is telling them to say prayers or to say grace or whatever. I, I totally see that as problematic. And that is a textbook example of something that would not be allowed because of separation of church and state. But when you have independent private schools that are religiously affiliated and they can be of any religion and any religion is allowed to make a private school, to create a school, and now you have funds, public funds that are going to be, or that are able to be used in any school that a person wants, there's no discrimination in terms of like, there's no preference there of one religion over another. The state is not saying this is the religion that you should be doing or this is a religious uh, you know, prayer that you should be saying or whatever. The person could go to a school that has no religion. The person can go to a school that's Jewish, Muslim, Christian, whatever. So therefore, I don't see that as being the original, like relating even to the original intent of the separation of church and state. Therefore, if the state is deciding that they they don't have to fund private schools at all, but if they are funding private schools, I don't see why funding a Jewish school and a Christian school and a Muslim school and a whatever school would be a problem of because taking into consideration that intent of church and state. I hear what you're saying. I guess there's there's different ways to think about religion separation, and I, I kind of like the way you put it. There's the idea of kind of pr- giving preference to religious values, which is what it would look like if there were some sort of religious indoctrination that were in public schools. Right. Or so preference kids were kind to of a particular religion. Right, right, right. Yes. But even just the idea of like a nameless God in a public school feels kind of icky to us, right? Like just well, because like to some people, someone who doesn't... Yeah. Yeah, fine. When I say us, I shouldn't say us. Uh, to me, right? Because if I don't believe in God, I should not be subject to that, right? There's no reason why I should have to listen to that. There, mm-hmm. you know, and that puts me into an uncomfortable position in a public school. But at the same time, there's a different kind of understanding of what separation of church and state means, which is that the state should not be enabling in any way, kind of uh, religious instruction. Not not to say enable in a way that it's not that the state should 
discourage it or, you know, like it's not it's not like that. But it's like, why would the state be giving funding to generally encourage right for well, the example the that i always why. come back to yeah, yeah the example that i always come back to is parsonage have you have, do you know about parsonage Jerry? remind me what that is so parsonage is uh, a law that basically allows clergy members to receive certain tax benefits right. like housing allowances and, and things like that which feels very icky and uncomfortable to me because what it's basically saying is we, as a country, are valuing this, right? Like, Uri, you might work for a nonprofit and you might be saving the world and you might be doing all those things, and that's great. And there are ways that we, as a country, want to benefit you and want to, you know, encourage that. But the state is also saying, hey, you, as a parson, parson is kind of an old school word for clergy, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, um, you, as a parson, uh, we want to encourage that also, and therefore we're giving you these tax exemptions for housing that's like work related in some way, whatever. Okay. So it's an interesting thing, because on the one hand, kind of similar to the earlier conversation, on the one hand, I feel kind of torn. A lot of people I know collect parsonage, and and not just other people, I collected parsonage for a while because that was the, the way that my job worked. I was allowed to. So I did collect parsonage, but even as I was doing it, I feel like it's an icky thing but that this those, is something that the government allows. If those benefits are available to an, a member of any religion, and it doesn't discriminate uh, or, or give preference to any religion, how would you articulate the reason why that is problematic or why it makes you feel The icky. reason it feels problematic to me is because I think the state should be benefiting and paying for the things that it values. So the state is making a decision by saying, hey, Rifki, you're teaching Torah. We're valuing that. We're going to make that? it easier for you to teach why is Torah. It so because bad they're that the not state doing that for religion. things that I think are much more important. Like what? Right? They're not saying, oh, you work for a charity that promotes um, getting water in Flint, Michigan. Oh, we're going to make it yeah. easier. We're going to give you tax exempt status. Non-profit have no. have tax exempt status. I'm not talking about the business. I'm talking about the people. I'm saying like, oh, I'm a marketing executive at that kind of nonprofit. That's amazing. The government is going to say that I don't have to pay taxes on certain X, Y, Z, right? But the government is saying that me as a religious instructor, I am getting benefits that those people are not getting. So the government is basically implicitly stating a value system, right? This is, I think, a relic from several hundred years ago, just like we were just talking about. But I think it's a problematic relic because the state is saying... We value education, we value defense, we value roads, and we value clergy. I don't see the, the And they're problem. saying we value I, clergy yeah. over, right? Because no, it's, not it's a over. zero-sum it's game. Not, but it's it not. is because if, I, if, I am, if I'm working for a charity, that, again, if I'm working for a charity that's promoting, that's trying to help low-income uh, students get uh, tutoring benefits and help them with SAT tutoring, right? They're, the state is saying, okay, that's noble, whatever, fine, but they're not changing my tax structure there. But yeah, they are I changing my tax I, structure if I'm clergy. I, I don't know all the details of parsonage and when who can apply for it and, and when it's uh, relevant. I, again, I hear what you're saying, but I think America is a religious country. I think um, there are many, many millions of people but, who are consider themselves religious and value religion and want to... And want and are are happy for those benefits to be in place. And if they weren't, then they would vote in representatives who would repeal those benefits. But the, because the benefits are there, I think that implies that people want them to be there. Okay. So so what? so, so you're Meaning saying like so I don't think it's it's funny. It's like when you talk about like the Constitution, um, you know, people 
on both sides, but oftentimes conservatives will talk about it as if it's like the Torah, like it's like set in stone and it's like holy words and whatever. It's like, no, I, I, I think, yes, it's important and you can't just ignore the constitution. You have to change the constitution if you want to, if you want to change it, you have to make an amendment. But like, to just to say this violates church and state, therefore it's wrong and there's nothing else to talk about. Like, well, why did, why is it bad? Tell me why it's bad to value religion. I still haven't really heard why, if, if the people of America um, value religion, why is that such a bad thing? Wait, I literally, I feel like I just keep saying it. Because it's, pre- it's giving them preference over non-religious yes. institutions that are helping people? Exactly. The state is saying, hey, you're doing this thing, that's great. Okay, goodbye. Oh, you're doing this religious thing, that's great, and we're going to give you financial reward for it. That's why it's bad. Okay, again, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't, I don't see it as a zero-sum game. If you want to be super technical about it, yes, every dollar that is spent on one thing is a dollar that is not spent on something else. But that's not really how it, how it works. But it's not just about the fact that it's a zero-sum game. It's also the fact that it's a values choice, right? The government is making a choice about values, and I think that that choice is one that makes me uncomfortable because of separation of church and state and because I believe that separation of church and state is a good thing. Okay, so do you want to elaborate on why it's a good thing? A few reasons. Okay. Like, wh- <laughs> sure. Well, I'm, I'm flustered by your question because I guess I was operating under the assumption that we generally do think it's a good thing. Do you not think it's a good thing? Because well, I'm happy to talk I, more right, about so why I think it's a good thing. I made a distinction of, of when I think it's good and when I don't think it's as good or necessary. Mm-hmm. If it's something that is either forcing religion on somebody like, for example, in a public school where that's the only school that that person, that kid can go to, and now they're forcing religion on religion on them, or the government in some way is giving preference to one religion over another, either of those kind of things I think is extremely problematic. And historically, it's interesting, it's ironic almost, that it was really Jews were... Um, it was the separation of church and state was very favor- favorable to Jews and very popular among Jews because it really protected them from being inculcated by Christianity in all kinds of different ways. And it gave them more freedom to, to practice their own religion in their own way, in their own spaces. But now because of Jewish day schools, for Orthodox Jews, at least that's kind of flipped a little bit where they, they see church and state kind of as a barrier or like something that they need to overcome and, and figure out how to get around. Um, but when but, but the distinction I made before was that if all religions are on equal footing and they all have equal access to certain funds, I don't really see a problem in that. And it, I think it just speaks to the value system of America, which is a pretty still a pretty re- relatively religious country where religion is valued by a large portion of the population. I don't see a problem with that. Uh, can I add something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, there's oh. so I'm like my my brain is running in twelve directions because like I I want to like come up with particular I, I want to like almost give individual. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, no, no, no. I I while you're thinking about a response to that, something that I just thought was interesting, and again, it's an example of how in in this case and these kind of cases multiple issues get mixed up into one and then mm-hmm. when you, people are talking about them and responding to them, it's very confusing because it's like hard to parse out which element they're you know responding to and, and referring to and there are biases all over the bo- over the place on all on all sides so like for example the six um conservative supreme court justices who are probably going to vote against the state in in maine in, in this case uh, is what people think would probably happen five out of those six um attended religious private schools growing up so it's safe to assume that they have 
because they're, they're already conservative, but in addition to that, they, they benefited from religious private schools, so they're probably going to be biased in favor of religious private schools. On the other side, though, the liberal justices, I think, have, first of all, um, a hostility to um, public funding to private education in general, um, which is not so popular in in more progressive circles. So even so, the, it has nothing to do with religion. But they're going to bring that into their thinking when it comes to religion because they're against private schools being funded in general in, in general by by the state. But also, I think they're a little bit hostile to religion. And I'll, I'll read a couple of quotes from the from the justices that I think um, bring that out. So Justice Elena Kagan. In, in talking about this case, in talking about these particular religious schools that the parents in Maine wanted to send to, I think it was two schools in question, she said, these schools are overtly discriminatory. They're proudly discriminatory. Other people won't understand why in the world their taxpayer dollars are going to discriminatory schools. So she's referring to the fact that, like, I think uh, one or two of these um, Christian schools either officially or unofficially don't allow gay teachers, don't allow gay students, discriminate against LGBTQ in, in her um, viewpoint of it. And I, I think, again, I understand what she's saying. I think that's a valid point in a, in a sense, but in another sense, it's a very dangerous point because what she's basically saying, what she's revealing is that she just doesn't like the religion that that school is practicing. But if it was, for example, Heschel in Manhattan, a very open-minded Jewish school who has plenty of LGBTQ students and teachers, maybe she wouldn't have such a problem. But now she's picking and choosing which religions she likes and which type of religious practice and schools she likes. Wait, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think I just, I might have missed something. So just one more time. Why do you think that she would not have a problem with Heschel? You think she would be more comfortable with Heschel's she's, philosophy? She's basically arguing that the funds should not go to religious schools. And one of the mm-hmm. supports for that argument that she brought was she's criticizing the practices of one of these Christian schools, that they're discriminatory. She believes that that, that school you know, discriminates against LGBTQ people. So therefore, I'm just saying, if there was a religious school like Heschel that does not discriminate against LGBTQ people, would that be okay for her? If yes, then she's picking and choosing which religion she likes. And if no, if that would still be problematic, then why even bring that argument? That's not the point. The point is that it's religious. The point is not what type of religion they practice. I thought she, I, 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 maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I thought her argument was that religious schools in general, not just not confined to LGBTQ. Right. So why, why even bring that? Why bring that example? Why, why because that's that? why she thinks that religion is problematic, because religion is problematic because by its nature is discriminatory and public schools by nature are not allowed to be discriminatory. Okay, I, I was just point, putting that out there. You might might not think it's such a good point, but I, I just I just thought it was funny that she's criticizing the the particulars of that of the religious practices of that school, which I think is just a little weird to get into because that's not really the point at hand. Anyway, changing changing gears a little bit, um, talking about just like religion in the public sphere and separation of church and state. You know, you raised the issue, the the question before of like, well, are, are non-Jews going to dislike Jews when they see that we're fighting just for our like private schools and our insular like way of life and whatever? Yeah, well, I just sh- I want to actually I don't think the issue here is about Jews. I don't think there are that many mm-hmm. Jews in Maine and especially the neither none of these parents are Jewish. I think the more the, the bigger issue here is just about religious. Well, people of course, but the ramifications of this decision are, are going to apply to the whole country and to, to many other cases. 
Sure, but I'm saying I think I think the bigger issue is that people who represent religion and represent what it means to be a religious person, I think, come across looking very poor. So I don't agree in that case. The case where I would agree is like you have other famous cases. So like when it comes to celebrating holidays or the holiday season or Christmas or whatever, and like you have a town or a city where the overwhelming majority of the people are Christian and they just want to do something simple like put up a Christmas tree, which is the most innocuous right. example. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a nativity scene, which is definitely much more religious. Maybe it's singing carols or whatever. Like, I don't want to shut that down. And like, I, I'm pretty sure there have been cases where like people probably, I mean, and sometimes Jews tried to shut that down. If it's that they want to put a menorah next to the tree, like, okay, fine. I also don't think that's absolutely necessary. But that's different than saying, like, let's shut it all down. And I think that's a lot more embarrassing. It makes Jews look a lot worse if there are Jews who, who would, like, do something like that. Um, I totally agree. But I don't think it's an either or. And also, no, I, never, or. I haven't actually seen that particular example. Okay, of, maybe like, we'll try to link to some. To there, I, I know there's a, there was a famous case in 1989 about symbolism. It was a tree. There was a nativity scene in some in some town. Um, and, and people tried to get it taken away. And the, But the, that was... That was other people are trying to get the religious imagery of both Jews and Christians taken away. They wanted the menorah taken down and they wanted Okay, the- fine, fine. I'm just saying this has come up in different forms in the past. Got it, okay. My grandmother has a funny story. She taught for many years in the New York public school system. And so one year, it was like this year, where Hanukkah was very early. So Hanukkah was over, like, you know, weeks before Christmas, but they were setting, you know, it was already after Hanukkah and they were like decorating the school for the, you know, quote unquote holiday season. And so they had a tree and they had whatever. And so, and they put up like menorahs. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother just like pointed out, mm-hmm. like she said, like at the time, just about all the teachers were actually Jewish. Fine. But she said like, you know, not that I care or have a problem with the menorahs, but it happens to be like, you know, Hanukkah passed already. It's, it's, it's not it's not Hanukkah anymore. So like we don't really mm-hmm. I don't think we necessarily need that. And the other teacher got like all flustered and upset. And he's like, what do you mean? It's the holiday season. This is our religious representation. And so, you know, for for some for some Jews for I would say generally speaking less affiliated Jews that might be their prime um, representation and religious identification would be a menorah next to a Christmas tree or whatever for Orthodox Jews I don't think many of them care about things like that it's more about education and school and how we raise our children and things like that and so it's just different ways of looking at it. And so I don't think something that as, as, as important to our community as Jewish education, I don't think we have to say, let's not fight for it because some people might think it makes us look bad. Okay. I mean, I think there are plenty of reasons to not focus on it. And <laughs> not only not focus on it, I think it is not a good thing, but I do think that it is important and valuable and meaningful that I think religious people come out looking bad okay. here. I, I think that really I think that really matters. Like I think in general, the way we go about the world should be way more focused on is this going to increase godliness in the world? You know, like yeah, maybe I have the right to do a lot of things, but sometimes I still shouldn't do them because it's not gonna make God look very appealing and religion look very appealing and Torah values, you know, look look legitimate. And I think that's really important. I, I agree that it's important. I guess we disagree on if this is uh an affront to that or not. But I, I definitely agree that, mm-hmm. you know, if Jews are, are advocating for this, they should also be advocating for all kinds of other important um, human rights issues and not just ones that directly affect the Jewish community, 100%. 
Right, right. All right. Sounds like we uh, we came to an agreement Great. here. And as they say, an agreement is an agreement. Oh, I never heard that. <laughs> really? I think it's from Fiddler on the oh, Roof. Oh, maybe. Okay. I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was like a... And an agreement is an agreement. Oh, it, it, My God, they sure should cast is. me. Papa, I don't want to marry him. I can't marry him. I can't. What do you mean you can't? If I say you will, you will. Papa, if it's a matter of money, I'll do anything. I'll hire myself out as a servant. Just But we made an agreement. And with us, an agreement is an agreement. Is that more important than I am, Papa? Well, as always, we want to know what all of you think. Please be in touch with us. Send us an email at TalkingTalkusPodcast at gmail.com and join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Drive-In Productions. They're the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Zagazund. Zagazund.